0: Our scripture uh, for this uh, prepared message is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning uh, with verse 26 and through verse 31. And I'm going to be referring back to this um, in my prepared message, but I want to go ahead and read it um, before I begin. Look up at the sky and consider who created these, the one who brings out their attendance one by one summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, not one is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, and declare, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my God ignores my predicament? Don't you know, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Young people will become tired and weary, and young people will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will fly up on wings like eagles, and they will run and not be tired, and they will walk and not be weary. Well, runners often call it hitting the wall, it's that moment in the race when a runner is depleted of what's called stored glycogen. It's a carbohydrate that's stored in your muscles and liver, and it provides energy. And so the runner is de- depleted, and you begin to experience uh, feelings of fatigue, negativity, and, and lack of energy. And for those who have run marathons, they say it usually happens around the 18 to 20 mile mark, hitting the wall. Well, lately, I've had conversations with folks who, uh, I would say, I feel as if they've hit the wall, not physically necessarily, but really in their soul. And they may not use uh, the language or the phrase hitting the wall, but they use phrases like soul weary, or numb, or drained, or exhausted. I host a Zoom call for pastors um, two times a week, every Wednesday and Thursday. In the last couple of weeks, I've noticed it's as if they and we have hit the wall, the ministry wall, they've had to deal with pandemic and changing routines and folks who are grieving loss, financial strains within their own congregations and members with financial strains, and recently helping their congregations process all these feelings and frustrations and sadness and grief around protests and racial injustice and racial justice and all of these hard conversations. And they aren't the only ones. Folks who aren't pastors are feeling the same kind of effects in their own life. It's as if we've all tried to manage different rhythms and routines in our life. Massive change, hard conversations, cultural stress, and the uncertainty of the future. And there's the exhaustion of those that are seeking to help build and create a renewed world of justice and righteousness. Those feeling the call to activism, and activism is so important, but activism can be hard work, exhausting work. Working towards a world in which everything is made right and everything is put to right. A world in which everyone flourishes and is treated with dignity and respect and all are seen as created in the image of God, but those who work hard for that, activists can hit the wall. And then there's simply life. Life itself can be exhausting at times. Work schedules, new seasons of life and changes. Raising a family, tending to the kids, working hard at tending to relationship, relationships, caring for other family members. And I know parents have worked extra hard and teachers have worked extra hard as they've had to go to Zoom to, uh, to do schoolwork and to do homeschooling or do the schooling at home. At some point, we really know the words of Proverbs 30, verse 1, deep down on our soul, quote, I'm tired, God. I'm tired, God, and I am exhausted. It's there in the Bible. Proverbs 30, verse 1, I'm tired, God. I'm tired, God, and I am exhausted. It's interesting, the word exhaustion. If you go back to its origin, really means to drain off or to draw out. It's like life is being drained out of our soul. Life is being drained out of our heart. Life is being drained out of our own physical bodies, and we feel like we've hit the wall. Maybe you've already hit the wall. Maybe you haven't already, but in some ways, um, we all feel this exhaustion. Uh, God's people were tired. God's people were exhausted. They were in exile in in Babylon, and I've referenced this before living during these uncertain times in exile with an uncertain future in Babylon. And everything familiar to them had been uh, stripped away. Everything familiar to them had been taken from them, and and they lived in this space, this space of realizing they couldn't go back to how it was, but they really had no idea of how it was going to be. That feels familiar, doesn't it? I had a conversation with a pastor friend uh, this past week, in her own life, and in her own soul. She's having this very experience. And she put it in these words, even if I wanted to go back, I wouldn't know how to get there. And I'm not even sure I know right now the way forward. Wow. I think we maybe all feel caught in this space of knowing we won't be going back to how it was, but yet not knowing how it will be. And that's a hard space to be in. It can be an exhausting space. And it's in this context of this exile, of this kind of space, that we have these beautiful words that I read from Isaiah 40, who in effect felt as if they were living through a time in which life felt out of control. Nothing felt defined, nothing felt in place, much like we may feel. And so the writer observes, and I read these words from Isaiah 40, verse 26, look, Look up at the sky and consider who created these, these being the stars. Who created these? The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name because of God's great strength and mighty power. Not one is missing. And so the writer looks up to the heavens and sees the stars and is captivated by the way the universe feels ordered and sustained by God's strength and God's power. And it's through this experience that the writer of Isaiah 40 is encouraged to know that even in their seemingly disordered world, their God, the creator of the universe, orders creation in such a way that life is sustained and life is held by God's strength and God's power. We pay attention to creation, pay attention to it, and notice and observe how life is always sustained and how everything in creation Everything it needs is already given, it's already provided, as long as we don't get in the way. But there is this grace to life that all we need is given and it's provided by God. And this is what creation teaches us. Even Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? And so really, the, the writer in Isaiah 40 is trying to invite us into this moment of saying, I know that our lives look out of control. I know that our lives feel disordered and discombobulated. But take heart, look at creation, look at everything that God has done. Look how God sustains it. Look how God nourishes it. Look how God cares for it. Look how God keeps everything in place. And know that that same God, that same Creator, is with us doing the same thing. It was a a while back that I learned how trees uh, in forests and in yards uh, will literally underneath the ground will connect their roots with each other uh, to provide support, to provide nourishment, to provide sustenance. And there's so much going on in nature, so much going on in creation that we're probably not even aware of that. That it, it teaches us that so much is given, given to us, as it's given to nature, given to us to 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 sustain and be strengthened, um, and God is present among us. And so that's what the writer of Isaiah 40 wants uh, those in exile to pay attention to, and wants us to pay attention to, is how God's ordered creation and how God's a uh, giftedness in nature uh, reminds us of God's giftedness to us. But then there's this question that we may often ask, is God even aware of what I'm going through? Is God even aware of what we're experiencing? And these are the same types of questions the people of God in exile were asking. So here's how the writer responds to that question. Why do you say, Jacob, and declare Israel that my way is hidden from the Lord? My God ignores my predicament. Don't you know haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. In other words, our understanding of divine presence is limited by how we understand the world. We understand the world in a very finite and limited way. But the writer reminds us that divine presence is not limited by our understanding or are limited by our own capacity. We can't possibly keep track of everything going on in everyone's life. We have a hard time keeping track of everything going on in our own lives. But sometimes we view God how we view ourselves. But God as divine presence is fully aware of our predicament, is fully aware of our circumstances, and offers what we need to strengthen us in our weariness and revive us in our exhaustion. That's why The writer says, why do you say Jacob? Why do you declare Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My God ignores my predicament. Just for a moment, put your own name in that statement or that question. Why do you, Scott, why do you declare that my way is hidden from the Lord, that my God ignores my predicament? That personalizes it in a a very real way. So when we ask that question, we're reminded by the writer that that isn't so. God is very aware of what's going on around us. God is very aware of of our predicament. God is very aware of our circumstances. And God God doesn't grow tired. God doesn't grow weary. Uh, God does not lose track of us. God gives power to the tired and revives the exhausted. And it's these moments of strengthening and reviving that often come to us as gifts. And sometimes in ways we didn't orchestrate ourselves, but we sense and we experience this strengthening of our life and this replenishment in our exhaustion. And again, maybe it wasn't something we designed ourselves. It just is. But in that moment, we're reminded that God even cares about our predicament, my predicament, your predicament, and our exhaustion. God sees those who feel unseen. God notices and sees those who feel ignored. One of the I think most powerful um, compliments I've ever received of late, and I really did it by accident, um, but was a person that I was listening to their story and paying attention to what was going on in their life. And this person reflected back to me, I thank you um, because I feel like I've been seen. And what they were saying was, I feel like that you have heard my story. I feel like you've paid attention. I feel like that you've listened to me and now you see me. And it's the same thing that the writer in Isaiah is saying um, about God towards us. God sees us. God doesn't ignore us. God hears us. God listens. God knows our story. God knows our predicament. God doesn't grow tired and weary of our lament. God doesn't grow tired and weary of sometimes our complaining. God doesn't grow tired and weary of our exhaustion. And I would even say this. God doesn't grow tired and weary of our whining. And I whine just like of the best of us. God sees and hears and welcomes. Which is why I want to offer you this simple takeaway from this prepared message. And this, and it's this. It's okay if we feel exhausted. Again, listen to the writer of Proverbs. I'm tired, God. I'm tired, God, and I'm exhausted. And sometimes we feel as if We're not allowed to feel this way, that maybe we should feel stronger, or it's a sign of spiritual weakness, or it's a lack of faith that we feel exhausted. Well, it's none of the above. What it often tells me, and what it needs to tell you, is that we're simply human. So listen to, again, the writer of Isaiah 40, quote, Youth will become tired and weary, and young men and women will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. Even young people get tired and weary and stumble around because they're human. Not because they're unfaithful or uncommitted. And we all stumble and we fall because it's a long journey and sometimes there are no shortcuts. And for the folks in exile, they had no idea when they were gonna go back home to Jerusalem, but they held close to their hearts the hope that it would happen. And when it would happen, it would literally would be a long journey back by foot, but even in their stumbling and weariness, they would know they are making progress toward the future God has for them. It's interesting, again, to me, that one of the things people will say, and many of you have said it to me, say, after a sermon, um, after a Sunday meeting for worship, I'll give an example about myself. I'll give a story about myself, and usually it's a story and something I've stumbled or maybe I haven't felt strong. And, and time and time again, and, and I really appreciate this, but you will say to me, it was good to hear that. It was helpful to hear that. Uh, and, and I suppose it's because it binds us in our common humanity. And you realize that even though I may have the title pastoral minister and, and I may be up front preaching and 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 whatever images people may have, I get exhausted as well. I get tired as well. I stumble and I fall. And and there are some days where I just say to myself, boy, I don't know if I can do it today. I just don't know if I can do it this week. But there come those moments then when somehow in ways I don't understand, as Isaiah 40 says, God's strengthening, reviving presence comes to me and, and strengthens me in a way that I can't do on my own. And I know that it is a gift that is given. It's given just like, again, everything in creation and nature is given for its own sustenance and life. Everything is given to us by God to provide what we need to make it through. It's interesting, different translations will use the word trust, and sometimes we'll use hope, but they really mean the same thing because it's in our continual trust in God and God's care for our lives that we're able to have hope. And when we hope, it deepens our trust in God because we know we can't do it on our own. So hope is what keeps us going. Hope is what keeps us taking that next step. Hope is what enables us to say each morning, I'll give it my best today. Hope reminds us that we we can take a break from life and the world's not going to fall apart, that it's still in God's loving care. Hope tells us that we don't even have to see that which we're hoping for because we know that God's ultimate intentions are, for our world and all of creation is to bring peace and flourishing. And so we faithfully keep showing up each day and doing our part. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, if we see what we hope for, it's not hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. And so God invites us into this this patient, hopeful, trusting relationship where we we simply keep showing up every day, doing what we can do in God's strength and God's power, and knowing that God is working both with us and for us in everything we're about. Author Joyce Rupp writes these words, Hope resides at the core of who we are. We have the ability to retain peace of mind and heart no matter how much thick gloom descends on our path of life. Our external world might be inundated with distress, but deep within us there abides a trust that God will see to our well being in spite of evidence to the contrary. I love that last sentence. Our external world might be inundated with distress, but deep within us there abides a trust and a hope, I'll add, that God will see to our well being in spite of evidence to the contrary. I have hopes. I hope you have hopes. I hope for a world free from injustice and racism. I hope for all to flourish and be whole. I hope for a world that turns first to peace and nonviolence. I I hope for a world where all are valued. I hope for those who are grieving to know joy. I hope for those uh, that are discouraged to be encouraged. I hope for those folks who... um, feel uh, not energized to to have a life of meaning and purpose. I hope for everyone who feels that that they can't make it, that they know they can make it because God is with them. I have these hopes. And I don't often see sometimes in the day that I'm living how it's going to happen, how it's going to take place. But I keep on hoping even though I can't see it. And I keep showing up as best as I can with patience even though I can't see it because something tells me both within my own soul and both within the way the universe and the creation operates, that God is about bringing life, and God is about bringing flourishing, and God is about doing all of that, and God is still at work. The writer in Isaiah offers this wonderful image of how we can live into hope, the image of an eagle. A couple a few nights ago, uh, I was watching. Uh, Linda and I were watching a um, PBS show on the eagle on uh, on on the the show ANOVA. and it was a fascinating, fascinating show on 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 uh, the eagle and uh, and and all that it, it it does in terms of flight and caring for uh, its its family and caring for its its uh, its uh, eggs. Um, but one of the things that um, I thought was so fascinating was how eagles will often use what are called uplifting winds uh, to enable them to soar and to glide, and that way they can use minimal exertion on their part, and they adjust their wings to these uplifting wings and, and, and winds that will blow into a slope and then go upwards or, or what are called thermals or or domes of, 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 of heat that create these winds. And, The the eagles literally find these uplifting winds and and they soar. And exactly that's what we hear the writer talking about and how we will soar on on winds like eagles. Um, My encouragement then is for us to use and discover and be open to ways that you can be present to uplifting moments in your life that have the capacity to carry you, that have the capacity to lift you up and allow you to renew your strength for the long haul. And these uplifting moments will be different for all of us. It'll be a walk outside uh, in nature, an encouraging conversation with a friend, reading inspirational literature, listening to music, simply sitting in silence or withdrawing from all the noise, maybe reminding yourself of God's goodness and gifts in your life. But find the uplifting winds of the Spirit. Let me read that passage again from Isaiah, just a portion of it, just so we can hear those words describing the image of the eagle. Youth will become tired and weary, and young men will certainly stumble. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. Again, find the uplifting winds of the Spirit in your life. Rest into the uplifting winds of the spirit of your life, whatever God gifts us with, whatever God gives you and I. So God can strengthen us and God can encourage us. And we know that we are being carried by God through those times in which we are exhausted, through those times in which we are tired, through those times in which we feel we just can't go on anymore. And particularly in these times in which we feel we're in this space in which we don't know how to get back and we don't know what it looks like in the future but we're in the space in which God simply carries us.